today, leading up to that, what I thought we would do, we just finished the Christmas season, right? And um, last week was January 1. It's the, it's the new year. And in a couple of weeks, or next week, when Pastor Jonathan begins uh, the series on the Sermon on the Mount, he will take us to Matthew chapter 5. So what I thought we would do today is we would take those two chapters leading up to chapter five so we can get a snapshot of what is happening in the life of our Lord before he begins his public ministry. Uh, We've had the birth, and then uh, in Matthew chapter two, that's where the wise men, the magi from the east come. And then in chapter three, it begins with John the Baptist uh, preparing the way, telling of about the, the coming Savior and preparing the way for Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter three, that's where I want you to go today. Matthew chapter three, we're gonna begin reading in verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now folks, the baptism of Jesus was a big deal. Matthew and Luke, talk about the birth of Christ, Mark and John just skip right over that. But all four gospels talk about, tell us about the baptism of Jesus. It was at the baptism of Jesus we see all three persons of the Trinity are present. Jesus is being baptized. The heavens open up and the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove. And we hear the voice of God the Father saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It was a big deal. Now imagine this, when your father, especially when your father is the Lord God Almighty says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Can I tell you, that will put some wind in your sails. It will, I mean, it will be the highlight of your day, maybe the highlight of your week, who knows the highlight of your year. It makes the top 10 on Sports Center. I'm telling you, it will put wind in your sails and that's what happens at the baptism of Jesus. But I want you to understand this today, the approval of heaven doesn't exempt us from the attacks of the enemy. The approval of heaven does not exempt us from the the attacks of the enemy. Let's keep reading now, Matthew chapter four, verse one. Folks, this is right after the baptism of Jesus. We read this, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, duh. I tried a couple of days this week and it killed me. But he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and the scripture says that he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And then verse 7, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
And then in verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all of these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Folks, just like that, Jesus went from the water to the wilderness. He was on the highest of high hearing his father say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The next thing he knows, he's, the Holy Spirit has led him out to the wilderness. He's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry, he's tired, and who shows up? Satan himself to tempt him. Mark's account of this in verse uh, 12 of chapter one, it reads, immediately, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness. Not the next day, not the next hour, immediately. One moment he's being baptized, the next moment he finds himself in a battle. One moment he is in community, the next moment he is in isolation. One moment he hears the voice from heaven, and the very next moment he hears the voice from hell. One moment he's getting a good word in the water, and the next moment he finds himself in warfare in the wilderness. I've got news for you. It happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. Last week, last Sunday happened to be January the 1st and we all came together both in this room and then in our homes and we made commitments. And we're gonna do this, we call them resolutions. And we're gonna do this and we're gonna try to be this and we're gonna lose weight and we're gonna do all of these kinds of things. And by about Wednesday, anybody falling off the wagon by Wednesday? Boy, it happens. But you know what? Life can transition that way. Life can transition us from the water to the wilderness just like that. One moment you're on the mountaintop, the next moment you're down in the valley, you might even find yourself in a wilderness. Now, what's the difference between a valley and a wilderness? Well, when you're, when you're in a valley, a valley is usually located between two mountains. You just came off of a mountaintop and you're down in the valley, but you see the mountaintop uh, coming up. You know you're going to be out of that valley very soon. And we go through those things, right? Maybe even weekly we have those, those valleys that we go to. But a wilderness is something different. It's, it's a sojourn that lasts a very long time. The next mountaintop is at a distance. It's dry, it's barren. And in those wilderness seasons, we can feel very, very alone. I would imagine for Jesus, um, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed so with such emotion that the Bible tells us his sweat became as great drops of blood. The Garden of Gethsemane, the Via Dolorosa, the road to suffering, Golgotha, the cross of Calvary, undeniably that had to be the hardest days in the life of our Savior. But I have to believe this right here, 40 days in the wilderness, all alone, with Satan tempted him, had to be one of the hardest, if, the not, the not, if, if not the not hardest, uh, seasons in the life of our Savior. 
Jesus was hungry. He was exhausted. The memory of, of hearing his father say, this is my son there at the baptism was quickly fading. A correct response to temptation becomes a stepping stone to our spiritual growth. We're going to make that transition from, uh, from the water to the wilderness. And how we respond to the struggle and the temptation during that season uh, will be a difference maker. And a correct response to temptation can be that stepping stone in our spiritual growth. We're going to talk about that just a little bit uh, more. But I want us to spend a little time talking about facing temptations. Everyone faces temptations. Temptation always has been and always will be a part of this life down here on this earth. You cannot avoid it, but church, you can overcome it. You can overcome it. Temptation is not a sign of spiritual weakness. Temptation is not a sin. It's only a sin when we give into it, that we act in a way where we lose fellowship with God because of because of sin. That's why confession is such a critical part in our life. Oh, not just the, on the part of, the, of the, the unbeliever, but the part of the believer. We need to confess our sins to the Lord because we don't have it right all the time, because we are weak, because we do make mistakes, because we do give in to temptation every now and then. Rick Warren says this, Many Christians are frightened and demoralized by tempting thoughts, feeling guilty that they're not beyond temptation. This is a misunderstanding of maturity because you will never outgrow temptation. You will never outgrow of temptation. It's, it's a way of life. It started way, way back in the, in the Garden of Eden where, by the way, the conditions were perfect. Yet Adam and Eve were tempted and they sinned. Satan tempts our Lord here right after his baptism. Everyone is tempted, no matter your circumstance, no matter your status, you, we will never outgrow temptation. By the way, let me point out that we are not only tempted in our area of strengths or our weaknesses, we also can be tempted in our uh, our area of strengths as well. Let's say you're, you're quite the intellect. You're a pretty smart person. If you're not careful, you'll be tempted to take that incredible knowledge and your, your intellect in a very prideful way and, and use it for, for your purpose and your good rather than the glory of God. Let's say you're a, you're a persuasive person. If you're not careful, we can be tempted to manipulate people and situations for our own gain and our own, our own good. Let's say that you have a lot of compassion. And if you're not careful, the evil one can get in the midst of that counseling session where you're speaking a good word to someone that's helping him in their life journey. And before you know it, you find yourself so emotionally attached. And if you're not careful, you let your guard down and then you have given in to temptation and to sin in your life. Leadership, leadership can be the same way, man. You can be pushy, you can be pushy. I want things my way, my way, my way. So not only are we tempted in our area of our weaknesses, but even in our strengths, we are all tempted. 
But here's the good news. God will never put more on you than he puts in you to bear it up. He will never put more on you than he puts in you to bear it up. That's why we keep fighting. James chapter four, verse seven. James writes this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. What does resistance do? Like those of you who go to the gym, resistance makes us stronger. The same with our fight with temptation. Resist the devil, he will flee from you and suddenly your muscles to say no to the devil get a little bit stronger. But the battle is consistent, it never goes away. What's the source of this temptation? I'm gonna ask you to turn to James chapter one, if you would. James chapter one, we'll begin reading in uh, verse 13. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, these verses come, these three verses come right after the beginning of the book of James where he's talking about trials in our lives. Consider it all joy when you face all kinds of trials. But then he moves into this, what's the difference between trials and temptation? I love what Tony Evan says, how he describes this. He says, a trial is something created or allowed by God to produce spiritual maturity, spiritual development, spiritual growth. A temptation, however, is a solicitation to evil, an enticement to sin an invitation to rebel against God in order to stifle our spiritual life, to interrupt our spiritual growth and limit our capacity to bring greater glory to God. A trial is designed to develop you. A temptation is designed to defeat you. But know this, if God allows a temptation to come your way, He's not the source of temptation, but sometimes God allows temptation to come our way. He's not gonna do so without knowing you have what it takes to overcome. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. You have armed yourself with, with what it takes to overcome that situation. But it's up to us, the responsibility is ours in how we respond to that. But let's face it, this battle with temptation, it's not easy. Oh my goodness, we could go around the room and just uh, for days talk about, man, this is, this is where I'm tempted. This is where I'm tempted. Our list, is, our list may be long. Paul in Romans chapter seven, he calls it a war. My goodness, this battle with, with temptation really is a war. Here's what he says in verse 18. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I wanna do what is good, but I don't. I don't wanna do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. This is Paul. 
the author of half of the New Testament, pouring out his, his heart to us and saying, guys, I ain't perfect. Temptation comes to my way and I find my, there are things that I, I don't wanna do and I do it anyway, things that I know I shouldn't do. Man, I'm, I'm doing those things. It is a war. Have you ever felt that way? You're mighty quiet this morning. Have you ever felt that way? If you haven't, I'm not so sure you're saved <laughs> because we all feel that way. Why? Evil is soliciting you. Satan is scouting you. He is scouting you. I love football and uh, I even love to study football a little bit. But coaches on a, on, a, on a football team, they spend hours and hours and hours scouting the schemes of the other team. And then they'll bring the players in and they'll watch film. Now you see what these, these cornerbacks are doing right here on this play. And so they watch, they watch what the, uh, the other team's tendencies are. You know what, this team 78% of the time runs the ball on second and five. So we're gonna go with a 4-3 defense and we're just gonna crowd up the, the inside so that we can stop them. Or you know what, man, when it's third and nine, 68% of the time they throw a screen pass. So we're gonna go with a 3-4 defense and push our linebackers out to the side so that they can, they can pick that, they can tackle that, that guy when they throw that little screen. They know the schemes of their opponent. Folks, we must know the schemes of the devil. We've got to recognize them. He is scouting you. He knows your weakness and he's waiting for just the right moment to attack you. Why? He wants to kill, he wants to steal, and he wants to destroy you. That's why we've got to know his schemes. Luke chapter four, verse 13. This is Luke's account of this temptation of Jesus. Boy, it's quite eye-opening. Verse 13, here's what Luke says. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Satan knows, doesn't he? Yes, he knows. But here's the deal. He doesn't really have any new tricks. He's been using the same tactic for forever and ever and ever. Rick Warren calls it doubt, deception, and detour. Doubt, deception, and detour. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter three when Satan in the form of a serpent is tempting Eve. And uh, they said, you know what? We, the, the Lord told us we can't, we can't eat from the fruit, this particular tree in the garden. And what was Satan's response? Did God really say that tree? Did God, casting some doubt into the situation, even at the baptism of Jesus in verse eight here of Matthew chapter four, what's Satan's first remark to Jesus? If you are the son of God, if you are creating doubt in our minds, he does the same thing with us. And then there's the deception. Genesis three, verse four, 
Satan says, you won't really die. I know he said you're going to die, but you won't really, you won't really die. And in Matthew chapter four, when Satan takes Jesus to this high place and, and he says, jump off the, 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 the temple there. And, and he misquotes Psalm chapter 91, or he takes it way out of context when it says the angels will sweep down and they're going to catch you and you will be the hero. And it's deception. And then the third thing is detour. In Genesis chapter three, four and five, he tells them, now look, Eve, if you take of this fruit, not only will it not kill you, it's going to open your eyes to the truth. And you'll be something that you never thought you would be before. And he begins to take her on a detour. He did the same thing with Jesus in chapter 4, verse 8 of Matthew. He took the high mountain. He showed him the kingdoms. All the, and he says, look, I will give you all of this. And all of mankind will worship you if you will worship me. I wish I could have just been inside the mind of Jesus as Satan is saying these things. I know he was hungry. I know he was tired. Uh, but he has to be thinking, Satan, have you lost your mind? I was there at the beginning of time. All three things were created by me and for me. But still, Satan tries to take him on a detour. This, this, this you need to know about detours. Satan's detours, they're usually quicker. They're a shortcut. It's the fast track to fulfilling our desires. Now in this day and age, a shortcut is always um, welcomed, it seems. Satan will throw us detours that if we're not careful, we'll get off of God's plan and then we begin to make a mess of things. Folks, be patient. God's delay is not God's denial. When we jump ahead, we often mess things up. Ask Abraham and Sarah, Hagar and Ishmael. God had a plan and it was a perfect plan. And Abraham and Sarah thought, we need to hurry this plan up. But they ended up making a mess of it. Know the schemes of the devil. But I just want to throw this in here real quick. You also need to know your weaknesses. Know your tendencies. Know your triggers. Know your coping mechanisms. And guard your heart, guard your mind. Let me ask you this. When are you tired? When are you hungry? When are you lonely? When are you bored? If we can identify those things, I think we're halfway there in winning the battle. Not just realizing them, but recognizing that if, I'm, if I don't have my guard up, the evil one's gonna, gonna get me. I was, I was visiting with my trainer this past week because, man, you know, I made the New Year's resolution and man, I'm committed, I'm, I'm in it to win it. And uh, uh, so I was meeting with him and he kind of, okay, here's what I want you to eat on these days. And, and he had, you know, healthy food, snack, Healthy food snack. And he got snack three. And here's Ben Crosswhite's his name. Here's what he said. Snack three, go to bed. <laughs> Why did he say snack three, go to bed? 
because he knows around 30, 9 o'clock, we're starting to get hungry, or at least in our mind, we're hungry, okay? Know your tendencies. Know your triggers. Know your coping me- mechanisms. Remember this, you may fall into temptation, but you never fall out of temptation. You fall in, but we climb out. And folks, for many of us, that, that's, that's where we need help. That's where we need help. It may be help in the form of a counselor. Tom Friedis and our team here does an absolutely amazing job uh, with counseling. The list is long, but the ministry is amazing. And so for some of you, it may need, you know what? I've been battling that addiction and I, th- I thought I had it, but I don't. I need help. I need a counselor. I need a support group. Our freedom ministry meets on Monday nights. We're here to help you to be that support group for you. You need an accountability partner. Man, my, my health and fitness journey, I got to have a, 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 an accountability partner. Man, I've had great success in the past and struggle and man, I'm in it to win it, but man, I need an accountability partner. So that's why I went and hired me a trainer and say like, man, slap me on the head and, uh, when, I, when I do bad. So what is the cure? What is the cure? Ephesians chapter six, turn in your Bibles there to Ephesians chapter six. We'll read verses 10 through 17. Paul writes this, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let's pause right there for just a second. Be strong in the Lord and remember your New Year's resolution. No, 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 no. That's not what he said. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, I'm not... I'm not against New Year's resolutions. I do them every year. I, I write them down. New Year's resolutions, I think, are good. They're kind of like, they're kind of like goals. And and then the uh, the treadmills, you can get them real cheap in April. And um, <laughs> no, New Year's resolutions are good. Last week. Pastor Jonathan challenged us in his message. And at the end of his sermon, what a beautiful sight, right? All of God's people down here at the altar praying, God, I want to be more like you in 2023. I want to go deeper than I've ever been before. So Lord, may this year be the year. But a New Year's resolution is a human attempt to get the flesh to act right. It is a human attempt to get the flesh to act right. Folks, I'm here to tell you, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. It works. It works. Ask him. Ask him to help you. Call out to him, Lord, man, day three is hard. So I need you to like fill my head with you and my stomach too, you know? It's like, I need you, Jesus, right? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke's account of the temptation in the wilderness says this, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Two things I want us to note here. Spirit-filled people are tempted to. Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit was led to the wilderness and there he was tempted by Satan. Spirit-filled people are tempted to, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome any temptation. Resist the devil, resist the devil, 
And then learn the lesson. You know, don't be so anxious to get out of the wilderness, out of that season of sojourning that you don't learn a lesson, that you don't get anything out of it. Sometimes, get this, sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead us into the wilderness for our own good, to grow us and to mature us in our faith. But resist the devil. Resist the devil. Learn the lesson. Let's keep, uh, let's keep reading here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Three times in this passage, Paul says, stand, stand firm, stand firm, dig in your heels. Now, why does he not say fight, go fight, win, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> I have cheerleaders in my house, okay? So uh, go fight, win. Why is he not saying go fight, win? Can I tell you something? Here's exactly why. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. The victory has been won already. So put on the full armor of God. Don't go out half-dressed. You need God's armor. Why? Because we are, we are in a spiritual battle here. So what's the armor? Well, first of all, the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. Man, our pastor time and time and again tells us, hey, you can depend upon the word of God. It is infallible. It is inspired. Hide God's word in your heart so you won't sin against him. We hear it all the time. That's why I think it's important that we uh, memorize scripture and that we have a Bible reading plan. I don't know if they talked about it early in the service or not, but man, our team's put together a, uh, a, a Bible reading plan. And if you don't have one, we've got one for you. And so be in the word of God and memorize God's word. Strap on the belt of truth. It is a fixed standard. It is a non-negotiable. Christ himself used it. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, what does a breastplate do? It protects your chest. It protects your heart. Just this past week, Monday night football, man, we were all sitting there with, uh, man, we were praying together as um, Damar Hamlin took a, took a blow to the chest and had to do cardiac arrest on I me. Mean, it, was, it was quite, why? Because his chest was vulnerable and there was damage done to his heart. Breastplate of righteousness. At the, what's in your heart? What's in your chest? Your heart. What's at the center of your heart? Our consciousness. When you have, get this, when you have truth girded around your waist, your heart is going to beat at the right rhythm. But once you let go of truth, 
You lose sight of what is right and wrong. Folks, that's what's happened in our world. That's what's happened in our churches. I pray to God it never happens in our churches. Once you lose sight of truth, suddenly you lose sight of what's right and wrong. And then you can be negotiated. He tells us to put on shoes of peace. Now, what are shoes for? Shoes aren't for sleeping, though some may. Uh, shoes are for walking, therefore, therefore moving. And so uh, he's not telling us, now look, you go crawl in a hole and when the battle's over, we'll take, no. We're engaged in this war, so put your shoes on and get moving. Do the work of the Lord. And as you journey, the Bible tells us that he, the Lord is going to give you a peace that you just cannot explain. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. The shoes of peace. Then he says, pick up the shield of faith. Why? So that you can ward off those fiery darts of the enemy. It's been told that um, way, way back in, in, in prehistoric tower Bible times um, that the shields, a lot of the shields on the inside of the, of the army, of, of the, the city, the walled city, would actually be made of wood that has been soaked in water. Why? Because one tactic of the enemy was often to to take their bow and arrows and shoot fiery darts to create fire. And so they would take those shields that were packed with water and they would, they would ward off those, those fiery darts. Satan has those fiery darts aimed at you. And, and Paul tells us here, pick up the shield of faith. And then he says, the helmet of salvation. What does a helmet do? Well, it protects your head. What's in your head? Your brain. Your brain. What does your brain represent? It represents your mind. And he calls it the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Reminding you who you belong to. You are his. You've been saved. You are his. You have a new identity. You are a new creation. Put on the helmet of salvation as a reminder of that. You are a new person. You don't do the things you used to do because you're not the person you used to be. You're blood-bought, forgiven, redeemed, heaven-bound child of God. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High. So put on the helmet of salvation and know that you are his. At the baptism of Jesus, this is what's interesting. God didn't say this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased because of his performance. Because keep in mind now, up until now, we don't know much about Jesus. We know he was born of a virgin, that's pretty, that's pretty special, but not everybody's buying into that and believing that. But other than that, I mean, like he's made some furniture in his dad's carpentry shop. He hasn't performed any miracles. He hasn't performed, he hasn't told us any parables. His resume is pretty short. 
Yet Jesus says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It was not before because of his performance. Guys, if our identity is based on our performance, we're only good as our last game. But he says, no, you are a child of the king. Put on the helmet of salvation. There's nothing that you could do to make God love you anymore. And overcoming temptation starts with knowing who you are in Christ. And then I'm going to wrap things up with, uh, with this. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, this word here uh, is used a little bit different. It's the word rhema, which really means utterance or to use. How do we use the word of God? Quoting the right scripture at the right time about the right problem to the right enemy. Using the word of God. Matthew 4, when Satan attacked Jesus, he responded, it is written. He pulled out his sword. It is, he used the word of God. Three times Jesus responded, it is written. He not only knew the word, he used the word. Now listen to me. If the living word needed to use the written word to deal with the enemy of the word, how much more do you and I who haven't had a word need to use the same word to deal with the enemy of the word? Thank you, Tony Evans. I only wish I could say it like he says it. Jesus used the word of God as the sword of the spirit. Satan can handle your thinking. He can handle your debating and your discussing, but Satan cannot handle the word of God. Hide it in your heart. It's your weapon. Read the word. Use it. And then finally, pray. Verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. How do you put on your clothes? How do you put on the armor? With prayer. With prayer. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw this out here because I believe a lot of the room will resonate with you. I believe it's easier to develop the discipline of Bible reading than it is the discipline of a fervent prayer life. But boy, we need to pray. We need to pray. It's how we get dressed in the armor. How much are you praying about the war that Satan is waging against you? No, I'm serious, okay? I'm not, I mentioned the, the DeMar Hamlin thing, the football player the other day. I was so thrilled when one of the ESPN sports, sports guys, uh, he was on NFL Live or something like that. And here's what he did. He says, hey, basically what he was saying, I might get fired for this. <laughs> but we've been hearing everybody like, man, prayers with DeMar, prayers with DeMar, prayers for, I'm praying for DeMar. And I think what he was thinking is how many people are actually praying? Or how many people say, I'm on your side? He said, so I'm just going to do this. And y'all right there on national television, he may not have a job tomorrow. I don't know. But he prayed, God, I believe in you. I believe you're an answer. And man, he prayed right there. Wow. We need to pray. We need to pray. Can I tell you what I did on Monday morning? I left my house. I, I left. <laughs> hey, when you leave your house at six o'clock to go to the gym, that's worth, that's worth applauding right there. Okay. All right. <laughs> So I left my house, I went to the gym 30 minutes earlier and I parked my car in the parking lot at the gym. <clears throat> this is good. And for 30 minutes I prayed, God, you know the struggle. Help me, help me. 
Folks, pray about your area of temptation. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you victory. What's interesting that Paul connects putting on the army of God with being strong in the Lord. These six, these six, uh, six different things that are, that are listed here. In fact, we're going to pray right now. We've got a medical emergency happening right here. So can we just pray? God, your timing is perfect. And so we pray for this individual who is having a need, a medical emergency right now. Bring the right people to them, Lord, to provide the care that they need. You know, we know that you are with us at all times. And so, Lord, in your sovereignty, I pray that you would move in this place and bring healing to this individual. In your name we pray. Amen. We need to pray about these things. Here's what's interesting, and I, and I need to wrap it up here. These six pieces of armor really are tied to one thing. One thing. He uses six things to describe one thing. And that one thing is back in verse 10 when he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God. Paul connects putting on the armor of God with being strong in the Lord. Why? Because each piece of armor is simply a different way of describing who Jesus is. Put on the belt of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. He is our righteousness. Put on the shoes of peace. Roman 5 says, in him we have peace. Take up the shield of faith. Hebrews 12 tells us that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Put on the helmet of salvation. Folks, he is the captain of our salvation. And take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word. Jesus is the word of God. So in a nutshell, folks, put on Jesus every day. Oh, victory in Jesus, my savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my, yes. He plunged me Yes. So where are you today? Are you in the water? Are you in the wilderness? Well, I got news for you. You're going to be in both places time and time again. I want us to, I want us to end today uh, at the end of the service. For those of you, you're, you're hearing the words um, from my mouth today and you're going, the problem, Pastor Scott, is that the Holy Spirit that we're supposed to tap into, I don't really have him living in me because I've never confessed my sins and made Jesus Lord of the life. I want victory and I need the spirit of God. Listen, Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross of Calvary. He rose victoriously over death, hell, and the grave. He's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And he says, come to whosoever will. So at the end of the service, our counselors are going to be down here. And if you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, today's the day. Today is the day. For those of you, you took Pastor Jonathan's message last week pretty seriously. Like, man, I want 
I don't want to do the same actions, getting the same results. I want to be different. I want this year to be better than it's ever been. And you're in the battle already, okay? You might have stumbled a couple of times along the way, but you're fighting it. Man, you're putting that phone down in those evening hours when you know that's when the temptation is real and so far so good, but you've been tempted to take it to to bed with you and look at things you shouldn't look. Resist the devil, resist the devil, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come on guys, we are in it to win it. I'm gonna have, we sang this song last week, but I think it's just a great way for us to leave today. When I fight, I fight on my knees because the battle's not ours, the battle belongs to the Lord. Come on church, stand together, let's sing it. I fight, I fight on my knees with my ass lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sink through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. When I fight, I fight on life this week. Don't forget next week, uh, Pastor Jonathan begins a brand new sermon series. You don't want to miss it. And uh, Lewis said this earlier, but thank you for bearing with us during all of the construction. It's going to be great when it's all done. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.